Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. This is a special weekend for us as a, a nation as we just pause to remember and to honor those who have served us in our military. And today, as we survey the world scene, we're just reminded that we are a blessed people. The peace that we enjoy, the freedom that we enjoy, even to gather this morning, is something that comes at the cost, and a very real cost, of individuals who've given their lives, who give their service to protect us. And we, I just want to take a moment to honor those of you among us who are veterans or who are, are serving in, in the military actively. So if you have served, would you be willing to stand and be recognized at this time? All those who have served. Thank you. A couple weeks ago in our Praying Like series, we talked about a guy named Epaphras who prayed with a wrestling intensity and for the people of God and for his church family. We have a couple, Eric and Pam Lyon, who pray with wrestling intensity for you and for us as we follow Christ. And, and so grateful. I, he sits up on the, they sit on the second row and every week he shared with me, he has a prayer, Lord, if John goes down, give me a word to say. He's ready to step up. And, uh, but I know also he's praying for us as the word of God goes out, that it would take root and, and that it would create that super bloom. And Eric is a retired Navy veteran who has some army, sorry, has some good stories. And, uh, sorry, the, uh, <laughs> do you want to talk? Okay. Okay. The, uh, but he is an active, I was thinking about, he's an active service in our, in the kingdom of God as a prayer warrior and thankful for the battles he fights on our behalf. So comes to lead us in prayer today. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you poor in spirit in humility and in gratitude of your goodness. Father, forgive us of our sins before you. You're the Holy One of Israel, awesome in wonder, steadfast, patient, and true. And you're worthy of all praise. You have gathered this body to worship your great name this morning, Lord, to seek your wisdom, to encourage and to love on one another, and all for your glory. Father, open our eyes to see your ways and to live in obedience to your word, not just to read it or teach it or see it, but that we would seek to live transformed lives, which is our spiritual worship to you. For each one here today and those that may be watching, may we live those transformed lives and live holy lives before you. Father, open our eyes to the world around us and its ways. Give us the strength and the power to reflect your light into the world around us 
and to overcome temptation and the evil one. Father, as Thanksgiving and Christmas rapidly approach, we pray you would give us a heart for those around us who may be in need. Many that comes to our minds throughout the day and each day as we, we go, may we be reminded of them and and pray for them and and seek to uh, find ways to, to help them. Father, I'm thinking of those that may be homeless, homebound or bedridden. Father, there are many that are suffering medical burdens, those who struggle with a handicap, those who may be lonely. Father, the broken in spirit, we pray you would use us to step into their lives and bring them grace and peace. As we think about the veterans on this weekend, Lord, and and also first responders, we thank you for those uh, who may not be with us and those who are currently present with us. Father, we thank you that you have called them to deny themselves and to, if need be, lay down their lives for our freedom, our freedom to assemble here each each week and to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, this day many will gather in your name to worship and glorify you. In many congregations locally here, Westbridge, Trailview, others, And then globally, we think of our missionaries and their churches where they worship. They gather to hear the preaching of the good news. Father, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive it with gladness. And that we would be sanctified in the truth by the testimony and witness of your word. So, Father, as John comes to share your truth with us this morning, we pray you use him. Strengthen him. We pray you give him zealous passion for your word and for our souls. And that it's by your power and for your glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric. I hope it's been a good week for you. Living in the the reality of the truth we looked at last week, resting in his shadow, even when life is hard. And today we're going to to shift a little bit as through the story of Ruth and apply the same truth to our lives. How do we live in light of this reality that we can live in close proximity to him or rest in his shadow, but specifically in the times of life when we are in the wait moments, when we are waiting between here and there and just wondering, God, where are you at, at work in all of this? One of the great threats to us in our faith journey as we seek to follow Christ through life is the uh, really forgetting what God has done and living in light of his goodness and his faithfulness as we do life. And one of the, this hits every human soul, it hits every generation. We see it ripple throughout the centuries. One of the places that God just sums it up for us is in Psalm 106, verses 12 to 13. 
This is one of the songs that where Israel would sing their history, and they're really summarizing this struggle, this threat. There in verse 12, it says, they believed his promises and sang his praise, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. How many times does that describe our lives as well? We, God provides in a wonderful way, and we, uh, we appreciate his goodness, his generosity in our, on our lives, but then we, here comes another challenge, another day, another, and we forget what he has done, and we do not wait for his plan to unfold. God's perfect plan that we know he is working out, and yet we, we find ourselves running ahead of that or, or stressing out or, or being filled with anxiety. How is this all going to, to play out? And so the hope today is that through the story of Ruth in chapter 2, we will see this sweet, sweet reality that we are, that you are shadowed by his loving providence so that you can trust him in the weight. You can follow him in the weight. We're going to pick it up in the barley fields. Last week we left off with we, Ruth and uh, Naomi were coming back after the famine to Bethlehem and that sign of hope, there was a barley harvest that was beginning. So today we're going to follow Ruth into the barley fields and we get to be, it's season of harvest for them, we get to be a fly on a haystack and just watch her um, some interactions play out. And through this, watch the loving hand of God's providence on her life. And looking through her life, look into our own lives. Notice what God has done, his goodness, and then respond in in a way that is is fitting to him. So one of the things, if you would join me, Ruth chapter 2, as we turn there, what's interesting about this chapter, this part of the narrative, it's like we're watching it on the split screen. Which when I say split screen, I know some of you are thinking, man, I wish we could split that screen and watch the Colts at 9.30 right now. And uh, <laughs> and then when you're cheering for the touchdown, it would be encouraging to me. Scott said he talked to Larry about this. So Larry, I know Scott's bigger than me, but let's not do that. But uh, <laughs> but, but what's neat about the uh, this story, chapter 2, we really feel the split screen effect of God is giving us a human perspective, what's happening at the human level, but then also a divine perspective, what's happening at his level. This is the great tension of life, too, is, is your life all on God? Is it just scripted and you just have to let go and let God? Don't really have to do anything, Try just go with the flow, let God, because he's in control, right? He is sovereign, so you just let God, or is it all on you? Like God set the, your life in motion, gave you breath, but now it's on you. You got you to get her done. All the responsibility of your life rests solely on your shoulders. Which is it? And, and we know in Scripture this is one of those great tensions. And, and the danger is we drift to one extreme or the other and just land there. But, but the, the calling of God through Scripture is to, to live in the, the mystery and the tension of both. The divine human co-op. He is providentially guiding our lives. And there is no, there is not an atom of this universe that is not under his sovereign control. And yet, we have responsibility. He has called us to follow his word. And we will be held accountable and responsible to do that. How do the two fit together? I don't know. 
<laughs> there's mystery in that, and there's comfort in that, that if we understood everything there is about God and his plans, we would have to think maybe we invented God, but, but he it will forever be above us, and we may never fully grasp this, but it is truth. And we see this playing out in Ruth's life, and we, it helps us um, understand how to live in light of this reality. All right, so we'll pick up the story in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. That says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So here's a guy. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So this was something they called gleaning, but God made provision of this. Deuteronomy chapter 24, for those who were poor, maybe didn't have a family, the, the, uh, the fugitive, the, or the uh, immigrants, and you could... Um, harvesters would leave some grain, leftover grain, and they weren't allowed to come back and, and pick it up, but leave it there for the gleaners to come along and, and get their sustenance. So Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field, began to glean behind the harvesters, and as it turned out, so this is the phrase, the circle, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. And then they respond, the Lord bless you. The normal greeting was shalom. He's saying, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Their response, a picture of not just a physical a, a harvest going on, but a, spirit, a time of spiritual awakening in the community. So the first scene here is Ruth goes to work. So that's the, the human perspective. The divine perspective is he guides my steps. Ruth and Naomi, they make this journey after 10 years in Moab, back to Bethlehem, and love the picture of initiative that you see in Ruth. What do you do in a season of transition? And they're poor, they're um, a vulnerable state. Ruth, Ruth does the next thing. She just get, And the picture in Proverbs 6 comes to my mind of where God gives us the picture of industriousness through the ant, get up, get busy, get it done. She gets up, she gets busy, she gets it done. She goes, they need food, so she goes and gleans. She gets busy. I think, what a great just life lesson. What's the next thing that, that's in front of us when you're in those seasons of transition and maybe need and confusion? Be active. So she goes out and begins to glean. But if you would, just let's put ourselves in her shoes. Can you imagine as a young woman, a foreigner, a widow, very vulnerable, going out on this first day of work looking for a field to glean in. And I know first day of work is a nerve-wracking experience in a culture in which we, we feel safe and settled. But um, here she's going out into this, this field. And I'm sure as she walks out that morning, it must have felt very maybe chaotic and even random in, in terms of where she's headed. Walking out with all these people she doesn't know. She's a foreigner. And she's walking, looking for a field, just somebody who will have mercy on her, find favor, that she'll find favor in their eyes so that she can just follow along and pick grain. And yet, what do we see? And what, what is God um, teaching us in this text? What, what's the author seeking us, seeking, desiring for us to see? And it's wrapped up in that little phrase, as it turns out. So she goes out, ordinary day, nerve-wracking moments, and what is, this is the, uh, the human perspective, that's her, but the divine perspective, as it turns out, she walks into the field of Boaz, who is um, 
would qualify as a kinsman redeemer, would, um, a relative of Naomi. And then he also, he, and then he said, so she's in Boaz's field, but then just then Boaz arrived. So what are the odds that he would show up when she shows up? And you stop and think of all the things that had to go right for this moment to happen. What do we learn here? In his loving providence, God is guiding our steps. As you look back over your life, in how many ways and through how many means has God guided your steps? Through his word, through wise counsel, through the inner nudgings of his spirit, through circumstances, doors that close, doors that open, trials, opportunities. And at the time, they seem so random, and so you're just kind of going through life. But you look back on your life, and you see his loving providence. You have been shadowed by the loving providence of God, guiding your steps along the way. Just another day in the field. Just another day at work, just an ordinary day of life. Oh no, there is no such thing as there in our Father's world and as our Father's children. And this reality as we begin to awaken and what God wants us to do through his word is to see not just the human perspective but the divine perspective and it fills us with with hope and with courage and with joy and with purpose and with wonder and with an excitement as we walk through each Every, every, each day, shadowed by his loving providence. Yesterday, I woke up, pumped up to be at the church plant team meeting, 8 o'clock, and uh, hopped in the focus, rolling out the back, and my focus was dropped down. That's interesting. Looked out, yep, flat, on the ground tire. Thankfully, I didn't have just my bike pump that I normally have. Someone had provided an air pump for me, so I, and I always have a can of uh, fix-a-flat in the trunk. I filled it up, filled up the, the tire, Zipped around the block, came back, it had dropped already 10 pounds. Checked the tire, that sure enough, that nail was um, in such a, a place that I couldn't, usually I wait till Sabbath to get it fixed, it wouldn't, wouldn't hold. So I head down to, uh, um, ah, what's his name, Fre- uh, Freddy's, right? Ah, it's the wrong name. Jeff's, down at an Indy Lube. And uh, not the way I wanted to start today. I had to text Don, hey, I'm late to the meeting, and thinking, what? What is the purpose of all this? And then this truth just lands on me. John, you are shadowed by his loving providence. This is no mistake that you're down here with Jeff at Indy Lube. And sure enough, and so I began to think about the relationships that I was having with those guys. And Lord, let me just be your presence to them. And, and, and it, it changes things from being frustrating to being, all right, go with this flow. See what God has. I still don't know why that happened. But it's comforting and encouraging. And, and so, moving on to the next scene, though. Boaz speaks. So, chapter or, uh, verse 5, it says, So Boaz asked the overseer, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer said, She is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came in the, into the fields and remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And so the second scene from the human perspective, we see Boaz is uh, noticing Ruth. And then from the divine perspective, God is orchestrating our relationships in his loving providence. Something about Ruth catches his eye, catches the boss's eye. 
And we don't know exactly what it is he doesn't specify here. We can speculate. Perhaps she was attractive to him um, in, in whatever way. Perhaps it's her work ethic. We know he, the overseer is like, she's getting it done. She's working hard. So maybe Boaz is seeing dollar signs and a future employee. But whatever it is, something captures his eye and he is, he's drawn to her. It's interesting throughout this text and, and what the overseer says. Did you, did you catch the first thing he says about Ruth? Moab. Moabite. She's a foreigner. She doesn't belong here. And yet, that, that huge reason for, for uh, Boaz to just ignore her, he looks to her. He pursues her. From a human vantage point, um, it, it appears, or, or, or then, and some scholars have said, this is a, uh, a rewriting of Genesis chapter 2, where God is bringing the woman, Eve, to Adam. And a precious gift, and yet in a fallen context. But as we watch Boaz notice Ruth and then pursue her, what, what do we learn? In God's loving providence, he orchestrates our relationships. And, and we will see this become a, a bit of a romance. I keep thinking about that proverb that says, there are four things in life I do not understand, or three things that I don't understand, fourth, total mystery. The way of a ship on the sea, how, how that happens. The way of a bird in the sky, eagle in the sky, how do they fly? The way of a snake on a rock. How in the world does that snake get along that quickly on a rock? And the way of a man with a woman. <laughs> Speaking of love and uh, romance and all those things, like God's at work in it though, isn't he? Think about the people that you love, that you treasure, your family, your friends, your, the, the brothers and sisters in Christ that, that you just oh, so grateful for. And then think about how God has orchestrated your relationships throughout your life, guiding you and, and directing you, his loving providence, bringing us together. All right, so the story goes on, though. Boaz, what's, what's he going to do? So he notices this girl. We pick it up there in uh, verse 8. So as Boaz said to you, to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. And you can feel the intensity in his voice. Don't go glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. So there we get a, a hint into why he's so adamant. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. So scene three, Boaz protects Ruth, and that's what we see happening at the human level, at the divine level. Our God, in his loving providence, protects us from evil. Here we get a window into the soul of Boaz. As he sees Ruth, what's his first thought? The first thing going through his mind is her vulnerability and to protect her in, in whatever way that, that he can. He says, stay here. And you say, Why? Because there are, in the harvest, men out in these fields, and he knows these, many of these men may not have good intention in terms of how they treat her, whether it's with disrespect or even possibly to do her harm. And so he says, stay here. I've told my men not to touch you. You are safe in my field. What's the key component of Boaz's protection plan for her? Stay in my field which translated into our spiritual journey, what's the Father say to us? Stay in my shadow. And I just love this, you guys. I, I don't have to tell you, and I was meeting with some friends yesterday who both served in the military, and, and a part of our conversation was 
just to that dark side that there is, we live in a, a world run by the enemy of our soul. The evil is, is real in our world. And when our Lord and Savior came for you and for me, it wasn't just to improve your life from, from good to better. It was to save us from the enemy of our soul who seeks to steal, kill, and devour and destroy us and damn our soul for eternity. The child of God does not need to be afraid in life except for one place, and that is outside the shadow of El Shaddai. Jesus came to rescue us out of the dominion of darkness, bondage, death, a place of of torment and a horror into a kingdom of light where we are forever safe in his shadow. But in the insanity of our sin, the enemy is still in this world tempting us to step out of his shadow into a place where the enemy can pick us off. He can't take our soul, but he can destroy our life and the people that we love. And so Boaz says, Ruth, don't leave my field. I see what you don't see. The intentions of these men. You're a young woman. There is evil here. And our God says to us as his children, don't leave my shadow. It's not because he wants to restrict our lives. He wants to give us life. So if there is a sin that's tempting you and, and you, you're, you're drifting from him, I, I, I beg you this morning, through God's word, repent confess. Psalm 51 is the the confession where every day we just pray, Lord, cleanse my heart. Create in me a new heart, a pure spirit that I want your will above my will and renew a steadfast spirit within me. May that be our prayer. And what a gift as we look at our own lives, shadowed by his loving providence. He protects us from evil, doesn't he? How many times, how many ways has he guarded us this week from evil, from temptation? And uh, what a gift we have in that. But the story goes on. So how does Ruth respond to this and to Boaz's kindness here? Verse 10. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've told, I've been told all about you and what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and you've come to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done, and may you be, love this phrase, richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come and take, uh, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Love that picture of, of just, again, being in the shadow of Almighty. She says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. So, here Boaz, which by the way, Boaz, clan of Elimelech, he's uh, descent of Caleb, which if you're a Bible student, you know Caleb's a bad brother. Okay. The descendants of Caleb are always ready to mix it up with a giant. Caleb was 85 years old and he's ready to go fight these giants and his, I'm sure his kids are like, dad, <laughs> don't do this. And they're like, we got to watch out for dad here. But he's like, let me at the, and that's, that, I, I picture Boaz as being like the rock, you know, or someone like that. He's but when he speaks to this woman, it's not coming on all strong and it's like he's tender with her. He notices her and he's, he speaks kindly to her. And that's the test of a man, isn't it? Be Men, we need to be men these days. You feel the demasculation of, of manhood, you know, in our culture. And, and God created us to be men who will protect and provide and fight and go to battle when you need to go to battle. But we're also called to be um, loving and tender and gentle. And, and you just see that picture in Boaz. We see it in the Lord 
but uh, you see it here in Boaz as a, a reflection. And so she, uh, she says, though I do not have one of the, the standing of one of your servants. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, okay, so they, they break for lunch or dinner, whatever it is. You can imagine her off sitting by herself. Are the women, women going to let her in the, the circle? Nope. And so she's probably off by herself. And he says, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine and vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. And she ate all that she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz ordered, gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So when they... The way that they would harvest the grain or the barley is you'd have the, um, the men, they'd uh, cut it with their right hand with the sickle, and then they'd collect it with their left. And when they had a pile that was too big in their arm, they'd just drop it on the ground. The ladies would come alongside and behind them and tie them up into sheaves. And so what was left, then the gleaners, or if they forgot some, drop some, the gleaners could pick those up. But here that he's saying, hey, even pull out some of the, the, the stalks out of the, the sheaves and leave them. For Ruth so that she has plenty more than and enough so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening and then threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah so threshing is where you get rid of the stuff that's no good the, sh- the chaff and then keep the grain she has an ephah she carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough and so this fourth scene, Boaz provides for Ruth, and this is the human perspective, but as we watch the divine perspective, we see God in his loving providence provides so generously for us, doesn't he? Just as he did for Ruth. Boaz gives her this blessing, may you be richly blessed, and then he becomes the source of the blessing as he uh, lets her glean and even gives her extra stalks, or extra, uh, yeah, pull out some uh, stalks for her so that when she's done threshing the barley at the end of this day, she has an ephah, which, which was approximately 30 pounds of grain. So if you backpacked and you know you put on a 40-pound backpack, that turns a nice hike into a, an intense workout. This, this young lady probably laid out her shawl, piled it up, 30 pounds of grain on, on her uh, back as she's heading home. The, uh, you can imagine how concerned Naomi must have been sending her off to work, and she loves her like a daughter. I'm sure all day she was praying for her safety. And then she's thinking, when's she going to get home? And it becomes dinner time and no Ruth. I'm sure she was out looking down the road. Is, is she coming? No. And then it begin, the, the sun begins to set, and still no Ruth. But then finally she spots a, a, a lone figure coming down the road, but as she thinks this could be Ruth, she notices she's stumbling as she comes. She's thinking, is she okay? But as she gets closer, stumbling as she is, she's got a, is that a smile? It's a smile as Ruth drops this shawl full of grain, which was equivalent to two weeks worth of wages in one day. And I'm sure there was some celebration hugs. And then she remembers, oh yeah, leftover lunch, and she gives Naomi the, the fresh bread or whatever they had for, for that lunch. More than enough. And what do we see in this moment? 
So we see the, the loving providence of God. Ruth leaving in the morning. What was her great expectation that morning? Just to get enough food for one day for her and Naomi. And yet as she comes home that night, what is, <laughs> what is her situation? Because of God's loving providence through Boaz, she, is, uh, she has more than enough. As you see Ruth on her way home, hauling a load of grain she can barely carry, it becomes clear for us as readers, her story is our story, isn't it? In terms of what we've received in Christ. And today as we come to worship him and just think about our salvation, what Jesus came to give us, and not only physically, you know, and he has provided for us in so many ways. As we look to his word, he, he teaches us how to work. I think about those four principles of stewardship of, of finances, work diligently, give generously, save wisely, spend thoughtfully. And as we put those into practice, he, he meets our needs, doesn't he, through, through our work. But far more than physical provision, God is, has blessed us through Christ and in ways that are so much more valuable than money. He has been so, so good to us. Just to think, um, we have him, as the, he's the main treasure, but all the promises and the fact that, that he is preparing a place for us. And the, I think about the inheritance that we have in Christ. And you read Ephesians chapter 1. We have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing now. We have these blessings in this moment. As we awaken to this sweet reality that we are shadowed by his loving providence, it frees us up to be generous, doesn't it? Just to know that, man, God's been so generous to me and will be. I can be generous to those around me, just as Boaz was with, with Ruth and Naomi. All right, on to the final scene, verse 19. So how does this wrap up? It says, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you, where did you work? Blessed be the man who took took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today, worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness, that's that hesed love, to the living and to the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And then Ruth, the Moabite, said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until the harvest, I, they have finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go and with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. And so summary statement in verse 23. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Fifth scene from the human perspective is this. The harvest is over. But um, in the midst of this reality that the harvest is over, we see the overarching truth as we are shadowed by his loving providence. He is at work in the wait moments of life. As we come to this last verse, it's a bit anticlimactic and even disappointing to us. It's like, wait a minute. There was a man and there was a woman. And they were attracted, something, God brought them together clearly, and this could be hope here, and yet, two months of working in Boaz's field, and from what we know here, the relationship has not developed. And in fact, the harvest is over. And, and this, 
Last picture, she lived with her mother-in-law, two widows stuck in the same vulnerable state as they were when the chapter opened up. Mm. I think the the writer, and, and God through the writer, wants us to feel this uncomfortable tension that we feel in our own lives, the wait moments of life. As we wait for God's plan to unfold, this, this uncomfortable gap between where we are and where we want to be that, that feels so mad. We, I mean, we are often in this season, aren't we? This season of waiting. God has blessed us, and clearly we, we followed his path and his plan, and he's blessed us enormously, and, and yet we come to this moment, we wake up today, and now there's another challenge, another whatever, and we're in the wait. How do we, what do we do in, in the wait moments of life. We know throughout scripture what God is at work in the way. What's the primary thing he's doing in the way in our spiritual lives? He's growing our faith, isn't he? He's testing us. He, he, he could do it all this quick, but, but he's allowing us to, to live in the tension of, of, okay, now's not the time and, and staying in step with him, following his lead. And so the question, and this is the, the big idea of the day. So what's the, our fitting response as we look back, see God's loving providence in Ruth's life, but really through Ruth, see his loving providence in our own lives. Here it is, the truth to pack today. Because, and this is uh, Psalm 63, verse 7. This is David in a wait moment in his life. And this is a truth I hope you will memorize and just carry with you. Just begin repeating, praying, thinking as you go throughout your, your week this week. So here it is, because you are my help, and to the side of that, that's all these ways that we are shadowed by God's loving providence. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Today, I'm guessing that we're all waiting on something. We're, we're all probably in a some level of, of wait, looking forward to something, looking forward to something, hoping and longing for something. It's just the, the human condition, isn't it? It's who we are. And I think about our, this reality. We live on the river of time, not sure what's coming, limited resources we, we fill. And so we wonder what's coming and we wait and we, we are often filled with, with anxiety. We're a needy people. And I was thinking with Ruth, we often find ourselves at the end of chap, Ruth chapter two is really where we spend much of our lives. The harvest is over and Ruth and Naomi are living, two widows with a very uncertain future. What's coming? But as we look back and remember his goodness, think looking back through chapter 2, looking back through your life, remembering God's goodness in your life, we are able to sing, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. We're able to say that. So what is our response when we find ourselves in a wait moment of life? Here it is. Sing. Sing. Sing songs of gratitude. Sing songs for what God has done. Sing songs of worship for what he will do, for who he is. Sing songs of surrender, you know? Saying, God, I'll follow your will. But sing. Because you are my help. Looking back at his goodness in our lives. So his loving providence 
You guided my steps. You orchestrated my relationships. You protected me from evil. You met my needs. You were at work in the weight, growing my faith. Therefore, in this moment, as I wait for you, this uncertain future that's causing me to have some anxiety, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I sing. I'm going to fill up the wait moments of my life with a song of praise. Isn't that awesome? This is David. He's in the desert, chased a fugitive. God said, you're going to be king, but he's not king. What's he doing in the middle of the night? We know that he says, in the middle of the night, I remember you. I meditate upon you because you are my help. Here I am again, and here we are again in the middle of the night. (laughs) Right? Waking up. And I'm in the wait. The doctor took the test, and I don't know the results. And it could be good. Or it could change my life. What do I do in the wait? As I wonder, what are the medical tests that are going to be coming this week at me? What what, what do I do? I sing in the shadow of your wing. Isn't that awesome? Look at young people. Man, you guys are so excited having so much of your life ahead of you. But it can be scary, right? Think about who who does God want me to be with long term? You know, the, the marriage and... And the job and and all these things. And we all feel that the relationships in our lives, we're waiting. What do we do in the wait? We sing in the shadow of his wings, knowing he will provide. He's got us. Think about the uh, the job opportunity and maybe, um, or college, you know, and waiting for the acceptance letter, waiting for the, the result from the interview and the wait moments of life. What do we do in those moments? We sing. In the shadow of his wings. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I I hope today you just walk out with this one sweet, sweet reality that you can't forget all week long. You are shadowed by his loving providence. There will not be a moment this week that his loving providence will not shadow you. And the fitting response is, therefore, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wing. And I hope as you think about Ruth this week, just be reminded of God's goodness in your own life and praise him for the times that he guided your steps, that he orchestrated your relationships, that he protects you from evil, that that he provides for you more than enough. Thinking about our Thanksgiving offering and that we can give above and beyond. God has been so good to us, hasn't he? And then just resting in this beautiful reality that he is at work in the way, growing our faith. We don't know what's coming in Ruth 3 and 4 or in your own chapter 3 and 4, but we know who holds those chapters, and it will be good. And so can't wait to, to carry on this story with you next week, but, but uh, as for today, may we just rest in this reality, and may it prepare our hearts to come next week and, and celebrate our Lord together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just this precious, precious, precious reality that we are shadowed by your loving providence. And we want to respond in worship now, Lord, and just praise you. We offer this song to you with hearts that and we sing not because we have to or um, because everybody else is around us, but we want to just sing this song to you from a heart of, uh, of devotion and of love, gratitude for all that you've given us. Lord, you have been so good. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. And I know some of us are in a season of really hard waiting. And just pray that you would help us to see this reality and 
fill our, our hearts with a song, a song of faith, trust, hope. And uh, may the, the past moments that you have provided for us, may we see those and may they encourage us to know that, that you've got us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.